Uh, we're going to read some, uh, two scriptures from the Bible. I'm going to reference some other ones. And I want to tell a story. And I, I just want to capture an idea. Uh, if you were here this morning, I'm, I'm just extending some of the ideas from the morning. It's, it's a different sort of idea. But it's like the B-side, if you're old again. Uh, this morning would be the f- first single from the album. And this would be a B-side that might not make the album. Okay? So, again, don't write this down. Right? At the end, I'll tell you whether you're allowed to keep your notes or not. Uh, the, um, so great, if you've got a Bible, or grab your phone or whatever and jump to Genesis chapter 4. I'm going to read the story of Cain and Abel. Um, and it's going to come on the screen if you don't have your Bible. Uh, hopefully it comes on the screen because I don't have my Bible. And it says, it says this. It says, oh, it's a bit of a rough start, but uh, <laughs> Adam and Eve had a, Adam had a special cuddle with his wife. And she became pregnant, and she gave birth to Cain, and she said, with the Lord's help, I produced a man. Everyone say, a man. Okay. Later, she gave birth to his brother, and she named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, and Cain cultivated the ground. So Abel's looking after sheep. Cain is looking after plants that grow from the ground. When it was time for the harvest... Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and accepted his gift, right? But he did not accept Cain, and he did not accept Cain's gift. So these two brothers... They both bring an offering, the produce of their life, right? The, 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 a symbol of all of their hard work. They both bring these offerings, uh, portions of the, the firstborn lambs from, a, from the flock and portions from the garden, right? So it's cabbages and whatever, you know? And they bring these to God, and then the way they offered them up to God, which sort of makes sense if you're an ancient person, is they would burn the offering, and then the idea is obviously then the smoke's ascending, because ancient people have always had this in their imagination, as we still do today, is that if God's the highest thing, He must be up, right? And they don't exactly, ancient people and even, we don't exactly believe that God is up, but it's just the idea that He's, he's more elevated than us. And he's actually in the clouds. Again, no one's ever believed that God's actually in the clouds. But the belief is that he's in another space, so elevated from us. And the only way to access, to get our gift from this space into the God space is the transformation of fire that breaks it down into smoke that carries the gift into the other, adds to the extra atmosphere, right? So that's this idea of sacrifice, which begins with this story, one of the oldest stories in human history of two brothers bringing two different offerings, offering them at the same way on maybe the same family altar. One brother is accepted, his gift is accepted. One brother is not accepted, and his gift is not accepted. Uh, And that's the story, right? So Cain's grumpy. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, right? Why do you look so dejected, right? So Cain's angry. Why do you look so dejected, right? Next verse. Why are you so angry? Why is she dejected? This is what God says to Cain. Just hear how hard this is. 
If you, you'll be accepted if you do the right thing. If you refuse to do what's right, then watch out. Because sin, sin is crouching at the door and it's eager to control you. You must subdue it and be its master, right? If you do the right thing, you get accepted by God. If you do the right thing, your offering is acceptable. Your gift is accepted. You are accepted. God smiles on you. If you do the wrong thing, you're rejected. Cain is angry that he's been rejected. And God said, don't get angry about the standards. Shift your game. But be careful because when you fail, there's a moment of vulnerability where sin is crouching at the door trying to get in your house, right? And this, the ancient Hebrew, again, this is a really old story. It's really old language. But this idea of sin crouching at the door is the idea that it's like a, 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 an aroused lion is trying to get in the house and influence you. Okay, if you would read between the lines, right? He's got this thing is trying to plant something. Sin's trying to get in you and plant something in you that's going to begin to grow, right? So that you become pregnant with evil because it's got in the door because of this vulnerability of disappointment, which became anger, right? Okay, moving on. Thanks, AV team. One day, Cain said to his brother, "Let's go out into the fields." And now they're out in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I, bro- my, my, am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what you, have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out at me from the ground. And then God goes on to judge Cain and curses him and says, you're going to wander you're going to work, you're going to struggle, you're going to strive, you're going to plant and just harvest dust is this really full-on curse that comes on Cain. So they both offer an offering. Cain is not accepted. Cain gets angry. God explains to Cain what needs to change. God says, you need to change the way you offer your gifts, then you'll be accepted. Rather than change his game up, Cain destroys the game. Right? So rather than rising to the standard of Abel's offering, he kills the standard. Right? And then God says, where's the standard? And Cain said, I'm not in charge of the standard. I don't make the rules. Right? And God says, no, I, God, God knows what you did. He's the, how many of you know that's one of the tricky things about dealing with God? He, he knows what you did. And he knows why you did it. And even though no one else knows why you did what you did, even if they know what you did, no one else knows why you did it. Only you know why you did it, right? So you're stuck with this problem. How do I deal with this thing that's trying to eat me up on the inside in that moment, right? So jump across to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And this is, this is Paul talking to the Hebrew church. And he's talking about the fact that uh, you need to read the, the whole of Hebrews to fully get it. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. He's talking about how the fact that Jesus is our high priest and he offers sacrifices 
that is himself. He offers himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. He goes before us like that smoke from the sacrifice. Jesus has been burned up and he goes before us so that when we join ourselves with Christ, the smoke of our life is mingled with the smoke of his high priestly offering, right? So that when it gets into the heavenly realm, we're judged by the presence of Christ in our life, not by the facts of what we have done. Does that make sense? The offering of what our life is. And so this is what Paul says. Don't you see what these mean? What this means? All these pioneers have blazed the way. This cloud of witnesses around us. These veterans are cheering us on. It means we better get on with it. We need to strip down and start running and never quit. We need no extra spiritual fat, right? No parasitic sins. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus who began and finished the race that we're in. He's already begun it. He's already finished. We need to study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish line, right? So we've got to run the race that older translations say. We've got to run the race that's marked out for us. Like when we were born, we're going to race. So you get born, gunfires, and you're off. And running. Right? Some of us took a while to learn, but I was running, right? We're off and we're running. Right? And we've got to run our life. We've got to run the race of our life. Right? And we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus who's run ahead of us. Like that smoke that went ahead of us, he's run ahead of us into heaven. We keep our eyes fixed on him and see how he ran it so that we can enter into the promise that he is. So we can partake in the sacrifice that he is so that our life is then joined with his and that we become acceptable to God because of who Christ is. Okay, you with me so far? Just nod your head if you're with me so far. Wave your hand actually if you're with me so far. Okay, very good. 20% of us, we're all good, right? So I have uh, four children. I was explaining to Moore today that if you have two children, it's like rugby league, right? Everyone knows what's going on. Everyone knows the rules. But when you have three or more children, it's like rugby union where everyone's offside and no one knows all the rules. So I have four children, and they're all really different. They're all good at different things. They've got different sorts of personalities, right, which means that we have lots of loud arguments, right? And uh, the other thing it means is they're all good at different things. So we can celebrate people. They're good at this, and they get awards for that, and they get awards for different sorts of things, which is quite cool. But our youngest daughter, Lucia, she's eight years old now. And one of the things she's good at is, like, uh, she's, like, really physically capable. Uh, part of the fact that she's very uh, spatially efficient, She's like an eco-friendly person. She takes up a tiny footprint of space. She weighs about 20 kilos or 15 kilos, actually. Uh, and and uh, she's basically like bones with muscles around her, right? And so what she mostly does in her spare time is she, she mostly just does cartwheels and walkovers in our lounge room in the same place over and over and over and over again, right? And so she's got a really mean one-handed cartwheel. And what she's working on in our lounge room we're enrolling her in gymnastics where they have better safety equipment. But what she's working on at the moment is a no-handed cartwheel, right? We're yet to see one come off, right? But there's been some amazing misses, right? <laughs> but um, one of the things they do every year in primary school is they do cross-country. How many people did the cross-country? Did we all love the cross-country? We loved it, didn't we? It was amazing. I can remember loving the cross-country. I was not much like Lucia. I was very different, right? And... Um, I can't really remember uh, loving the cross country, but she loves the cross country, right? Are you okay back there? <laughs> it's, everything's fine. She loves the cross country, right? And, and so she practices, and there's a river in the cross country, the school, 
And uh, so we used to, I used to take her down there. She wanted to practice the river crossing because that's where everyone gets slowed up so she could make a few places on the river crossing. She's intensely, intensely competitive. Like her mother, right? Okay. <laughs> intensely competitive. We used to play family board games. We do not anymore. And um, <laughs> so Lucia was running across the river, practicing the hill, practicing this, and practicing it at school. And she's practicing her own time. She's making me run with her and practicing. And she wins the school cross country. Which is, yeah, thank you. I feel proud. She wins the school cross country. She beats all the year three and four girls, right? She's year three, but she beats all the year three and four girls. And some of them are literally twice as tall as her, like actually twice as tall as her, right? Uh, so she's small and she's fast. And so she gets to go to the next one up. Wins the school one. So she goes to the next one up. At the next one up, you have to finish in the top 10 to go to the nationals for cross country for eight-year-old girls. It's a big deal, apparently. But you have to be in the top 10 to get to the eight-year-old nationals cross country, right? And so she's pretty committed to being in the top 10, so she's practicing again, working really hard, practicing at school. And it comes to race day, I managed to get away from work so I could watch it because I'm expecting a top 10 finish. Uh, everyone's cheering. The other parents are like, oh, Lucia, because they only saw her win the school run, right? So she's the king of the school. And they're like, man, we're looking forward to seeing how Lucia's going to do. And I said, yes, she's going to kill them all. And... Uh, and so she's running, and she's running. It's on the same course as our school cross-country because it's the best course. So she knows she's got, like, that home ground advantage. I think that's going to work in our favor. She's practiced the river crossing a lot. Um, she's got uh, the right shoes on. Uh, so she doesn't get, so some people go with flash shoes, so they get nervous about getting them dirty. Uh, so she doesn't have any of those types of shoes. So <laughs> she's ready to go. And... Um, so they're racing, they race, they race, they cross the river, and then they're sort of off in the bush, and you can't really see them, and every, all the parents are straining their eyes uh, to see who appears at the top of the steps near the kindy across the park, right? And then so the first kid comes out, and the next kid comes out, and the next kid comes out, and the next kid comes out, and Lucia comes out 10th. It's a little bit too, it's a bit close for comfort, right? And so they have to hammer it around the field for the last sort of half kilometer. You can see them running all the way. And so everyone begins shouting and shouting. Uh, and, oh, oh, it's mostly white middle class people, so it's sort of. <laughs> and um, it's just, it was just me that was shouting. And, uh, and so they're running around and um, I'm shouting out just good advice, trip her! Trip her and uh, things like that. And uh, I wanted to have like a well-trained dog to cut across. But uh, anyhow, they're running around and she's coming in ninth and they come into the shoot, the finishing shoot. And as they're coming through the finishing shoot, um, maybe about two meters from the line, sort of just as they're crossing the line, a really horrible person who was previously 11th came running through like that, just like that. So she crossed the line, and then Lucia crossed the line to come in 11th place. And that was the beginning of a really very difficult afternoon, which turned into a difficult evening and a difficult night. So I had a few speeches, you know, come on, there's next year, and train a bit harder. And, and, and Chrissy had some speeches about forgiveness and judgment and letting things go and, no, we're not going to find where they live. Uh, and things like that. And it wasn't until her older brother, Austin, he finally got through to her and convinced her that next year was the thing she needed to be focused on, not the one that had just gone past. And, and Lucia said this at one point. She said, I was going to the nationals, and then that girl ruined it all. 
And this, the challenge with the cross-country for Lucia was that there was a standard. And the standard said, you're not good enough. By only one meter, but you're one meter not good enough. And the question you've got to ask ourselves is, how do we respond when the standard says you're not good enough? Because there's a standard. Oh, but I thought Jesus accepts us all. Yeah, he does. On the basis of us recognizing the standard and where we stand in front of the standard, that's awkward, but... Because Cain had an opportunity that he didn't take. And Lucia had an opportunity that she took, right? First point is this, that you've got to understand that we're always making sacrifices. I love what Josh said about sacrifice today, that we bring this thing that's got this danger potential for taking a heart, and we remind money again that God's in control. And we remind ourselves that God's in control. I thought that was a powerful thought. But have a think about your life. Think about the songs you sing to God in worship. And then, and then think about all the other songs you sing. Because they're all to God in worship. Think about the, the, the moments when you encourage a friend and you, and, you, and you reach out and prophesy over someone. And think about all the other things you say to or about all the other people in your world. Because those were all on the same altar. You think about the days you get to work early, you work hard all day. You're positive, you engage, you, you serve the customers, you're looking out for the business's interest, looking out for the boss's interest, and then think about Mondays, right? Because they're all on the same altar. Because it all burns. I don't know if you've noticed this about yesterday. It's all burned up. My grandfather had the saying at the end of each day, about four o'clock or five o'clock in the afternoon, he'd say, well, that's another day shot to heck. It's gone. That's done. Right? Burned up. And all the days get burned up. Your teens all get burned up. You're going to get, how many people have tried to get them back? It's all smoke, right? You'll never get those times again. You'll never lift those weights again, right? It's all gone. Right? Try and get your 20s back. You'll never have that disposable income again. It burns up. For me, my, my, I don't have any little children anymore, but the little children phase in our family is all gone. Right? All the phases of your life, they all get offered up to God. It all gets offered up to God. It all gets offered up to God. It all gets offered up to God. And sometimes it's acceptable. And sometimes it's not. And when it's acceptable, God's face smiles on us. And we feel the affirmation of heaven. And we come in tenth or first. And sometimes we come eleventh. There's this crazy story in Luke, uh, in Luke chapter 21. I, read it, I always read it as 12 and have to turn it around. So 21, Luke chapter 21. And it just says this, Jesus was at the temple, standing by the offering buckets, watching what everyone put in. Which to me, just seems rude. <laughs> right? There won't be a Sunday when Pastor Sam puts up on the screen here all the bank transactions. <laughs> but Jesus is not shy. 
Hey, Jesus, you know what Jesus does? He stands at the offering bucket. Oh, yeah. Next person. Oh, yeah. And he judges every person on the basis of their offering. This person's evil. This person's good based on what they threw in. Right? That's Jesus. The same Jesus. Same Jesus says, come to me, everyone who's thirsty, and I'll give you for free. So Jesus will give us for free the thing we need to throw in the offering. Because it's not money, right? Are you with me? It's life. It's the way we live our life and who we're living for. Right at the start of this year, I'm trying to encourage you to think about the fact that every song you sing is on the altar to burn. Every thought you think is on the altar to burn. Every meal you ate is either glorifying God or not. Everything you say about someone, everything you think about people, every day at work when you get there on time or when you don't get there on time. It's not like when you get there on time, it's like, well, this is a pleasing offering to God. And when you get there not on time, that just doesn't count. Well, these are the four songs I sing on Sunday. And those are the ones that get counted in heaven. And then this is the sound of my life, the fragrance, to use Josh's idea. This is the fragrance of my life the rest of the time. But God's only listening to the song that I sang on Sunday. And for some reason, we think that Jesus is is taking six days off and only works one. Jesus is standing there by the offering bucket every day going, hmm. Is that how you're going to live? Is that how you're going to think? Is that how you're going to behave? Is that how you're going to drive? Is that how you're going to eat? Some of you think Jesus is sort of oblivious and naive. I'll I'll just sneak in four happy songs on a Sunday. No, two happy ones and two meaningful ones. Right? And that's like a, we think our offerings, are, instead of incense up to God, we think it's going to be a smoke screen to cover our behavior the rest of the time. And God just says, it's not good enough. I'm not going to accept, God says to this to me sometimes. I'm not accepting that. It's not a very good effort. You're one meter short. You're not going to the nationals. Because there's a standard. God just says this sometimes. I'm not blessing that. I'm not going to be part of that attitude. I'm not going to ride in the car with you behaving like that. Put the wheel brace down. Sometimes God's Jesus is like, I'm not being in this conversation where you're talking about everyone else. God's like, I'm not, I'm not part of that. Right, But what we think is God's only listening to the thing we deliberately put on the altar. But God says, no, I put the whole you is on the altar. Remember, you put your hand up. You put all you on the altar, and it all burns out. And God's like, you know, there's some good bits and bad bits in this. Right? What do you, I don't know how you feel when you come 11th. Because I don't feel very good. Do you know, there's, 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 there's certain times in your life where you get really disappointed. It's like where maybe someone's better than you and they beat you. Right? But you know when you lose by a meter? 
there's just that feeling like, I could have gone a meter faster. I could have gone, I could have gone a meter, I could have gone a meter faster. Maybe I couldn't have gone 10 meters faster, but I could have gone a bit quicker off the line, a bit quicker through the river, a bit quicker up the hill. Maybe I could have just gone earlier out of, maybe when we got to the kindy and the back straights around the field, I could have gone a little bit harder then. Oh, you know, I don't know what the feeling would be like to get to heaven when you're like a meter short. Oh, yeah. Maybe I could have watched a little less YouTube. Maybe I could have kept that family-friendly settings on my YouTube. Sorry. I'm just a, I actually live in the same country you do. Right? Because there's the thing. Lucia had two options, and there's always two options with cross-country, eh? Because here's the challenge with cross-country, is you train hard, and you run your hardest, and you try and go faster than you did last time. That's actually what the teachers expect of you. Because none of my teachers expected me to win. I was quite a round person. I don't want to disparage anybody, but I was not cross-country material, and you could tell by looking. Right? Right? So because I knew that I wasn't going to win, I wasn't like Luchia. I wasn't like, I'm going to... I need to get down there and practice, and I need my dad to help me learn how to do the river crossing. I need to make... What was I doing? Oh, this cross-country sucks. <laughs> Anybody? I can't believe they've even included this as a curriculum item. There's absolute... I mean, this is me and the other fat kids, you know. Because we're all fat nerds as well, right? So we're like... There's no way in the world that learning to run cross-country is ever going to be beneficial in an employment scenario. Because, <laughs> see, here's the deal. When, you, when you're below the standard, the temptation is to allow the sin in your heart. Right? So then you start to justify your underperformance. Not just your underperformance, your under-attitude, your, your, your poor presentation of effort. Well, this job sucks anyway, and they don't value me. So I'm going to steal photocopy of paper when nobody's looking. <laughs> I basically consider the post-it notes my own. Right? But what's the reality? The reality is, no, you... you doesn't matter what they think of you. Come with, there's a standard that you need to run at. Right, that you're measured against. Every day, this this smoke goes up to God. This attitude goes up to God. This fragrance out of life goes up to God. And God's judging it. Is it good enough or bad enough? Right? And this thing crouches at the door wanting to, to come into our life and reproduce itself in us. Which is what happened to Cain, right? We're always making an offering. Our offering isn't always acceptable. We are descended from Cain. We're not descended from Abel, right? Because where's Abel? 
Would be nice, wouldn't it? Maybe Pastor Wayne, or maybe more Pastor Libby, is descended from <laughs> Abel. Okay? <laughs> but no, but we're not, we're not descended from Abel. We're descended from Cain. But so was Noah. He did a pretty good job. Right? But we've got to understand that we've got this Cain-like nature that would rather kill the game than rise to the standard. Would rather just bring the standard down rather than rise to the standard of what God's for us, right? When you fail, you've got the, op- the op- two options of rising to another level and maybe failing again, but failing at a slightly higher level. It's most, mostly my ambition in life. This year, my goal is to fail Less than last year. Right? And eventually you succeed. Maybe. But what God wanting is the running. Run the race. Right? You run the race. God didn't say win the race. He said run the race. Some of you can win the race while walking and you lose. Because God said, run the race. Some of us will lose the race while running, but we'll win. Because God said, run the race. Engage faith, engage your heart, believe for more, push harder. Allow God to transform you. Allow God to reproduce himself in you rather than sin to reproduce itself in you, right? Don't be the fourth form girl dragging, what, dragging her heels at the back of the cross country course, right? Don't be the fourth form boy hiding in the bushes and smoking, waiting for the laps to go past. Is that a word of knowledge on anyone? Anyone got anything to confess, right? Don't be those people in your own life. Don't don't just come to church every Sunday and wait the laps out. Right, and that your funeral will be like, we'll all be going, he ran the race. I think he was actually hiding in the bushes. No, no, don't. Let's run it. if If I do your funeral, I'll just say, I don't know whether he ran or not. I suspect he was hiding in the bushes. Don't. Come on, we've got to, don't burst out three, every three months. You, and if, here I am, jogging. Well, the teachers are looking then. Come back round near the principal. Hey, hey, Pastor Sam. Full of faith, brother, full of faith. I can't even believe, I don't know why they make the prayer meeting at this ridiculous hour. 10%, 10%, there's a church down the road doing 8%. Just run, just run and keep running. Because it all goes up to God. It's all a fragrance. Don't, don't try and win, just keep running. Sometimes we think that our challenge is that we're disappointed. I'm really disappointed with how last year went. That's, that, I actually not last year was great don't, don't feel sorry for me but we, sometimes we think I'm really disappointed about that I'm really disappointed about my financial situation or, I'm really disappointed about my physical health or I'm really disappointed about the job I've got it sort of sucks it's not going anywhere and we tell ourselves that we're disappointed but I don't think you are because when I'm feeling that and I call it disappointed do you know what I really am? 
I think I'm ashamed. Because I'm not disappointed with my financial situation. I'm actually disgusted with my ability to manage myself. We don't like dealing with shame. I talk a lot about emotions. It's my job through the week. Not my own. I just talk about other people's emotions in a general sense. Talking about your own emotions all the time, that's called being a talk show host. I'm trying to help people. So I talk about emotions generally. When I ask people to name emotions, there's only, do you know there's only five emotions? When I ask people to name them, most people don't know any of their names. And then after a couple of minutes, someone will say, oh, happiness, right? And they'll get a point, and then someone will want a point for sadness, but I'm like, it's sort of, you don't get a point for that after someone's already said happiness. And then the next one that comes out is someone might think, oh, anger, that's an emotion. And do you know what? The next two just about never get, we never get. So I could be asking the executive team of New Zealand's, one of New Zealand's biggest companies, name the five emotions. There's people in the room with PhDs who can't name more than three. How many people are racking their brain for the other two emotions? Oh, are, you, are you smarter than them? Now the problem is, the next one's fear. Which, if you're a man, you're not really allowed to do it, so you just forget about it, right? Because instead of being fearful, what do you do? You don't say to your wife, I'm just really scared about this job situation. No, you don't. You just do angry because that's more acceptable for a man. So you never admit to fear, you just get angry, right? And then you think you have an anger problem, so you try and solve your anger problem, but it's not an anger problem, so you can't really solve it because it's actually a fear problem. So you're trying to quiet down your anger, but it's just actually fear in disguise. A lot of people think they're depressed, but they're ashamed. That's probably my story. Whenever I feel like, oh man, I'm feeling real depressed. Do you know what I've learned? Okay, what am I actually feeling ashamed about? Where am I disgusting myself with my own terrible behavior? And when I deal with the thing I'm ashamed about, my mood can lift. See, Cain wasn't disappointed that his offering wasn't accepted he knew it was dumb when he put it on the altar I'm just guessing that because I'm descended from Cain and that's how I do it well this would be good enough and then it's not good enough and then we feel ashamed the problem with shame particularly when we don't identify it is it creates a space for us to open the door. We start talking in our mouth, we start running our mouth off. Uh, Those thinking patterns become speaking patterns. We attract friends who think the same way and talk the same way. Our minds reshape themselves in a negative frame and we talk our whole life down. And then we've got a whole lot of reasons why we can't rise to the standard because we've killed the standard in our world. Here's the deal, I reckon. It's got, a bit, it's got a bit sad right there, but anyway. I think we could offer our life to God and it could be acceptable to Him. But the way we do it is we offer our offering to God and when it's not acceptable, we lift our game. Right? 
we run harder rather than dragging our heels. And, and we need to start at the start of 2020. What do we acknowledge it right now? We're not going to do a good job all year. Hold on, that sounds weird, a sentence. We won't be doing a good job all the time all year. There'll be moments where we fall below the standard. Which is what, what Hebrews says, because we fall below the standard, we have a high priest in Christ who goes before us, right? So that his sacrifice of his life mingles with the sacrifice of our life and we become acceptable to Christ through his grace, acceptable to God through his grace. So that when we're judged in heaven, like Revelation 21, when Christ sits on the throne and judges everybody according to what they've done, it judges everyone according to what they've done, and then everyone whose name is written in the book of life comes into the promise of God. So we all get judged according to what we've done, and then those of us who are identified ourselves with Christ, we've run our race as well as we can. It's been good and it's been bad, but then at the end, the final judgment is that because we're identified with Christ, we receive from Him His righteousness that lifts our mediocre into acceptable to God. So we do our best, which is never good enough, and Christ takes that from there and lifts it to a level that's acceptable to God. doesn't actually make sense outside of our heart. There's this... Um, mythological tradition which I think goes back to ancient Egypt is that when you get when you die you go to the afterlife and one of the gods like this crane god pulls out your heart and then weighs it on a scale so your heart gets weighed against a feather and if your heart is heavier than a feather then you go to the judgment I just I just don't really like the odds. Whereas we have a, a we have a judgment a judge in Christ who the judge himself sacrificed himself on our behalf so that our hearts not weighed on that scale, but the heart of Christ is weighed on that scale. The, the life of Christ is weighed on that scale. He becomes a propitiation for our sins. So we receive His righteousness and He takes, in exchange, He takes our sin from us. 